0: This session of Scanner School is sponsored by our new training course, An Introduction to SDR, or Software-Defined Radios. Now, this course is designed to walk you through the process of not only purchasing, but also installing an SDR, getting the accessories hooked up, and getting the software installed in your computer so you are ready to go without wasting time and getting you operational as soon as possible. We'll teach you how to not only set up the hardware, so you can get analog reception but also p25 dmr nxdn and trunking all again with simple to use hardware and your existing computer setup so for more information about this introduction to sdr training please visit our website at scannerschool.com slash courses welcome to the scanner school a podcast dedicated to the Scanner Radio hobby. Class is about to begin. Here is your host, Phil Lichtenberger. Welcome to Scanner School. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and this podcast is here to teach you everything you need to know about the Scanner Radio hobby. Now, the session notes for today's podcast are online. Scannerschool.com slash session 81. We have a very interesting topic today. Harrison Uh, Basically, he called out to me and says, I want to be a guest. I want to bring this topic to the table. And he did so just by going to Scannerschool.com, the very top menu bar. He clicked on podcast and then be a guest. It was just that simple. And uh, a calendar comes up and you pick the date and time that is uh, reflective of my schedule. And you pick a time and a date that works for you. This way our schedules align and we can just get right onto the topic at hand, which is being a guest on a podcast. So this is a long one. We had a two hour discussion and I got it down to, just over an hour. So um, this is a long one. So I'm going to get out of your way. Again, Scannerschool.com/session slash session 82 for the session notes. And if you want to be a guest on the future, just go to scannerschool.com. Uh, just click on the podcast link and then down to be a guest. So today we're joined by Harrison Wilson. Now Harrison used the link on scannerschool.com to be a guest on today's podcast. So I'm happy that he did because this is a topic that I really think needs to be discussed. This is a topic that I have been asked Many times through uh, my scanning radio past, and for some unknown reason beyond what I can think of at the moment, um, I never added this topic into the list of things I want to talk about on this podcast. So I'm really happy that Harrison decided to contact me and wanted to be a guest on the podcast, because this is definitely a topic I think needs to be discussed. Now, this topic is talking about using commercial gear for scanning. So this would be gear from public safety to commercial uh, lines, like typically from like Motorola, Kenwood, Yesu Vertex, MACOM, and manufacturers of the like. Now, of course, some of these manufacturers have different arms of the radio manufacturing. Uh, basically, you'd have um, like Kenwood and Yesu have amateur radio branches, um, you know, again, even FRS with Kenwood and whatnot. So uh, we're going to kind of look at, you know, the commercial line here. But before we begin, Before I go too far down this rabbit hole and and end up taking over myself, I want to say thank you, um, Harrison, for being here and being a guest. Uh, Thanks for being available tonight to do this.
1: You're very welcome. Uh, I just wanted to say I guess I'm a little bit brave kind of doing this just because I know that this is a very, very touchy subject for uh, plenty of people who have seen Radio Reference and some of the other sites out there where this is discussed. Um, My job here is not to be uh, the police of it. Uh, I believe everybody has is able to make smart decisions. And I really think that if this is something you think you should be doing, and by all means do it, you have to understand the risks uh, of going about this path of the scanning hobby, as it were. Uh, But I don't recommend it for lots of reasons, especially this day and age.
0: Yep, definitely. And then again, this is you know an educational type of podcast. It's an educational type of discussion. So this isn't you know, as you said, this isn't a policing like you know what we say in the podcast. Definitely go. this is just an inf- you know informational, FYI type of thing? Um, maybe even a CYA <laughs> type of type of situation when it comes to using commercial radios in a uh, scanner radio environment. So before we go uh, and get started, um, do you want to give a little bit of a background as to uh, who you are and, and what you do?
1: Sure. So uh, my day-to-day job involves working with uh, IT systems, but specifically for those for public safety. And I actually spend a lot of my time working with uh, commercial radio systems. So I don't want to be a hypocrite when it comes to some of this stuff. Uh, There's people out there who might know my name, might know who I am, who listen to this podcast. Uh, So I don't want to say that it's a do as I say, not as I do kind of situation. I don't do this for a lot of the reasons I'm going to discuss, and I'm sure you will bring up Phil. Um, but just to give a little bit of background on myself, I've been scanning uh, and enjoying this since uh, about 2004 when I picked up a Pro 83. Um, those who know me, I'm, I guess I could put my age as falling into the group of people known as millennials. Um, so I went to pick up my first scanner uh, at the local Radio Shack, rode down, picked up a Pro 83, uh, quickly discovered that what trunking was, and that my local town where I grew up in Connecticut uh, used a trunking system and a Pro 83 was not gonna cover that. It was only a conventional scanner. Um, Quickly went back to the store, paid the 20 extra bucks, uh, bought the Pro 95, which was older, but covered some of the systems and really got me into the hobby. Um, And over time, I've just kept on doing the hobby, even involved with public safety, things like that. And it's gotten me the ability to be a person who operates on these systems, but at the same time, um, I still enjoy listening to it. And there's a lot of reasons why I prefer using uh, my go-to, which is a unit in BCD 436 HP. I can't bring myself to jump into an SDS-100 yet, but I'm definitely looking at them, or, or possibly Unication. Uh, there's some reasons I feel the SDS-100s little better. Uh, I'm in the DC region. I can pick up about 20 plus trunk systems that are all P25, if not more um where i'm at some federal some state some local uh so abundance of stuff to listen to and some huge benefits to why uh even a 436 hp which sometimes struggles with the simulcast systems uh is a better choice for me than picking up a commercial secondhand product and trying to use that to do what's what people normally normally call on a lot of forms and things like that uh non-affiliate scanning so uh what that means is not affiliating to the radio system. And I'm sure we'll discuss what that is, what that means and why people do it.
0: Yep, definitely. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, good choices of radios to start out with the Pro 83. I had to scratch my head on that one a little bit. I think I remember what that one looks like. I think it looks a little bit like the uh, the Uniden 246T if I remember correctly. But the um, the 95, the Pro 95, I actually had one of those when it was my first handheld radio that, uh, that did trunking. I remember spending countless hours trying to figure out how to put edax into that radio until i realized that channel zero wasn't the same as channel one even though it was the first channel in the bank um when it came to logical channel numbering you had to put channel one into channel one so you actually lost the first position on the bank if you if you had an old uh, trunking bank on that one but um pretty good it sounds like you had a really good start it actually became your hobby became a way of uh finding a career which seems to be the norm for a lot of us where we find ourselves starting in this hobby and then somehow it turns into a way for us to make a little bit of money on it, either by a primary job or secondary or something like that. So it sounds really good. So let's let's start from the basics here. Um, we're talking scanning or scanner radios, which we're all kind of familiar with, right? The radios that will scan a large group of frequencies, will do multiple protocols and have the ability, as the name says, to scan, right, to go through many channels, either through banks or, or lists or whatnot um and and that's the dedicated reason right it's it's a receive only radio when we talk about commercial radios you want to break down what a what you consider to be a commercial radio
1: so i would consider a commercial piece of equipment anything that you would see a firefighter police officer a member of a municipal service such as public works uh using on their day-to-day operations i think that's the simplest way to put it
0: okay but you would you wouldn't consider it to be like an amateur radio to be under this um
1: umbrella would you no, and I want to point out, too, since you brought it up, that uh, I don't mean to say we should kill off purchasing commercial equipment in secondhand, uh, especially in the amateur radio hobby, uh, amateur myself. Um, there's lots of great uses for using secondhand commercial gear. There's plenty of times where it can be more affordable. Um, there's pluses and minuses to using it. Sometimes the the product quality uh, can be a little bit better than some of your amateur manufacturers, not to call the amateur manufacturer product Uh, gimmicky or anything like that, but they have to meet a different price point uh, than a commercial radio where you're trying to get the intrinsically safe or meet some sort of uh, ruggedness standard uh, that you're not going to be able to meet if you've ever held some of the, uh, radios from the am- typical amateur manufacturers or even down to some of the Chinese manufacturers that are starting to flood right. the market. It's kind
0: of like Toyota versus Lexus, right? It's the same basic car, but one's a Toyota and one's a, you know, a luxury vehicle. So uh, it's, you know, one radio is, like you said, it's got more, more research in it. It's got uh, higher uh, receive values and, and you know, uh, drop Tests and everything else that make it more of a, a rugged radio than it would be for a commercial one, which would be more fragile and wouldn't be able to withstand the same type of elements and conditions that a commercial radio would. So, um, and again, this isn't something to say that we shouldn't be using the commercial radios because I'll admit I do use some commercial radios, but I have older, you know, HT one thousands and and twelve fifties and uh, tw- uh, I think fifteen fifties. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but we definitely have some things that are worrisome right when it comes to using uh even with using commercial gear so again let's let's break it down in, in, into different tiers here so when it comes to like conventional scanning is there any reason why we would not want to have a commercial radio for are just going straight conventional radio uh conventional scanning
1: i mean when you think about it today uh most of the the ra- scanners even your top tier stuff that's doing multiple protocols uh trunking systems things like that can get through scanning Uh, multiple frequencies all at once. I think the big benefit commercial is, is they seem to be more sensitive as people will say um, to some of the frequencies and they have better filtering and functionality designed to be able to receive uh, some of the systems you're listening to. So if there's something that's in conventional and you like to have it parked on that all day, uh, you brought up yourself that you have an HG 1000, HG 1250, great products Uh, used them in the past myself. Um, They serve great, in the conventional world. I think that they perfectly are suitable. Uh, They're much, much easier to prevent yourself uh, from accidentally transmitting, which is kind of the big problem here when we start talking about using some of the commercial gear. So I wouldn't say that they're not worth it, but you're going to lose out on some of those other features that you'd get by spending about the same amount of money, uh, the ability to scan through multiple frequencies really quickly, uh, field uh, programming, which is kind of the big deal. Um, A lot of these commercial products, you can't just uh, An HD1000, for example. Since you brought it up, I, uh, I don't think there's a, was ever a model out there that you could just pull out of your back pocket and say, "Oh, I want to listen to this public safety frequency I just found out about and pro- program it in." Especially when you're traveling, you have to pull out a computer, have special dedicated software, um, things like the that. Cables. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's. Cables. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, those cables. <laughs> I mean, can get pricey quick.
0: Yeah. Well, not only the cables, but the software too. I mean, it costs you as much as the radio, which is another drawback from using commercial gear. But, uh, and, and again, you talk about two multiple, you know, scanning multiple frequencies. Don't forget, too, when you have commercial radios, especially the older ones that are, that are more affordable, uh, you're stuck within a certain frequency band. So you may have VHF and you may have multiple UHF versions, like 400 to 450 and then 450 to 512 and other, you know, splits is what they would call them. So, again, you really have to plan ahead as to what it is you want to listen to, especially when you're going to go ahead and drop the money on, on some commercial gear. So that's not to say some of the older gear is is you know, out of out of the means. A lot of that the software that's out there has found its way onto you know, the internet. Um, you know, which isn't a liability if you have something that, you know, is, is copyrighted software. I know some manufacturers have actually gone after several individuals, but um, you know, one of the things we talked about just a second ago was the transmitting. I mean, you have a radio, right, that has the ability to transmit. It, that in itself is a liability, right? If you don't know what you're doing with the programming or even if you do know what you're doing with the programming and you happen to have that there, somebody stops you, you immediately look like you're up to no good because you have a radio that looks like from somebody who doesn't know how the radio is programmed that it could do something that's harmful, right?
1: Yeah. And something that you just made me think of is the multi band split. I mean, that's a huge reason to pick up a scanner, especially for in the conventional world. Mm -hmm. Um, over a commercial piece of gear multi-band commercial radios weren't really a thing until, um, within the past couple of years. And so that equipment is still pricey if you want to do more than one band. And the solution for some of the manufacturers to do multiple bands is multiple radio decks. So you think about Mm -hmm. if you wanted to do a mobile, you'd have to buy multiple radio decks, whereas you could have a, an SDS 200 or a BCD 536 HP or a TRX uh, device, Uh, not to, not to hate on a, whistler g or radio shack i just have found my way gravitating towards the unit and product
0: yep yep i'm the same way i have a trx one right here right next to my sds 200 and i could tell you nine times out of ten which one i'm turning on
1: (laughs) so (laughs) i i I do i do hope to see uh whistler uh make a comeback i know it was really disappointing for me personally um i totally agreed with everything you said after the announcement was made from Whistler wendy that they had uh stopped Current development on the previously announced uh, SDR products. Um, so I'm hoping that they make a comeback and they have something equivalent because competition is good in the market. And there was a lot of reasons to like the Radio Shack and GE stuff over the Uniden, but the big selling points for me with the Uniden, which actually is back to our main topic on uh, commercial radios, uh, the GPS scanning is something that has been worth its weight in gold for me personally in the hobby. Yep,
0: can't definitely can't beat that. That makes life a whole lot easier. So let's let's take a little backtrack through time. Let's let's just stick where we are right now on, on conventional and you know the older radios. So going back uh, several a decade plus, right? We had the Saber came out, right? That was the the big Motorola radio that, and literally, it was the big Motorola based on selling and big Motorola based on size, right? It was it was a brick that was two bricks put together that you know could do some damage if you dropped it uh would probably make a crater on your floor right but a lot of people actually bought those on surplus because they became uh, there was there was there was too many of them right out in the market after they started getting traded in and whatnot but i mean correct, correct me if i'm wrong was not like one of the first radios out there that was affordable to the scanner radio user even the amateur radio user that would support PL tones and DPL um i think before most of the commercial scanners would even have that in there as well so i think that would have been a definitely a positive to going with commercial radio especially at that time um with what was available out there on the market um but again that's a little bit before when i was that was in my little limbo stage of of scanning so i never really don't even own an astro and have nearly no no want or reason to have one
1: personally but
0: um they make good good
1: museum pieces i will say that (laughs) um I, i think that a lot of the uh reason for the commercial stuff back in the day was, as you mentioned, surplus. Um, But there seems to be something about the quality. Uh, I am not the person to talk about it. I'm sure tons of people will start writing in when I start talking about filtering and the construction of some of these radios, because I can think about some of the commercial models that had known vulnerabilities, such as capacitors leaking all over uh, boards and things like that. But I think what did it for a lot of people was uh, the ruggedness of them and some of the features and functionality you got, particularly if you're only listening to a couple things. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the great instances of using commercial gear for monitoring I can think of is the railroad. Uh, those clean cab uh, concept radios uh, sitting on a desk is kind of a neat thing. Uh, I don't really have much in the way of railroad to listen to here that uh, would interest me, but I could totally see folks. There's tons of rail fans out there that I looking at the old clean cab radios would be kind of cool to have sitting on the desk and monitoring
0: and, again, even one of the reasons, too, to have commercial gear, too, is, is just the sound quality coming out of it. And we talked about filters and, and stuff like that. But uh, a lot of times you can't beat the speaker on a commercial radio. So that's definitely one of the big benefits of having something commercial. Um, but let's move on, too. We talked about conventional scan, uh, conventional radios and the older stuff. We start going into now trunking. So before we go on to, you know, different manufacturers, right, of commercial gear support different kinds of trunking protocols, correct?
1: Well, of course. So if we mentioned before um, programming the old Pro95 for EDAX, that was actually one of the reasons I got it was there was an EDAX system in the area, uh, still active as today. uh, Enjoy listening to it. But thinking back to a lot of the systems and things like that, it felt like for the longest time manufacturers of scanners were quick to keep up with the trunking, at least from my perspective. I am not an expert when it comes to that. There's folks out there who probably have a lot more time on this earth than I do, who can speak to what it was like when some of the original uh, Motorola Type 1 systems were coming out, some of the uh, original GE trunking systems were coming out, and what the monitoring hobby was like then. Uh, But the real problem for scanning and what kind of made the non-affiliate scanning, as we call it, grow was definitely the presence of digital voice and digital modulation of those systems. Uh, If you look back at some of the Motorola type two systems with the analog voice. That was what I first started monitoring and some of the EDAC systems with the analog voice. Uh, you had no reception problems compared to your conventional system, picking up the system, listening to it, things like that. But then when they started to add uh, digital voice into the mix, that was when it uh, really started to grow as interest for people to grab the secondhand gear and find ways to get it on the system and monitoring. And that's kind of an important point to bring up is that you're actually trying to avoid getting the radio on the system through some of these methods.
0: Right. Especially once you know what you're doing with it, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but to loop back though, right, to tie into uh, the different manufacturers and the different types of radios and different type of trunk systems, like you would have, even like today, for example, right, you have MACOM, which was uh, Edax, right? So you wouldn't be able to put believe you shouldn't be able to put a Motorola radio on the EDAC system, right? I'm not sure if they supported that protocol, but pretty sure it was just MAcom, right? And Ericsson, I believe, was on there. Um, so MA, had, MAcom
1: yep. and Ericsson, as you referred to today, is now known as Harris, and that's kind of the EDACs, but... Uh, Thanks to Project 25 and the standards set by APCO, uh, Project 25 is pretty much defined how these trunking systems are worked. So it's funny funny how we diverged for a long time in the commercial market to where you could take a Kenwood and put it on a repeated system where Motorola repeaters were running uh, with PL codes and everything like that, even with uh, signaling such as uh, MDC 1200 and other technologies like that and still have as a commercial user work regardless of who your system vendor was, the subscribers or the handheld radios themselves and the mobile radios themselves for working on those systems. But now with standards like Project 25, there's some cross uh, pollination, I guess we could say, where you could right. potentially have a Harris manufactured system with a Motorola subscriber. But that actually introduces some interesting challenges to attempting to do the non-affiliate scan as it's called.
0: Right. We'll talk about that in just one second. I like to keep teasing this non-affiliate scanning. So I want to go back in time just a little bit more before we get to that point. Um, so again, we'd have like the um, – because I'm, I'm trying to loop into the different types of radios here. So if you'd have uh, one commercial manufacturer would support, right, EDACs. You had another commercial manufacturer that would support LTR. You have another manufacturer that would support, obviously, Motorola, right, Type type 1, type 2. Um, then you have now going into present day, you'd have a manufacturer that supports NXDN, a manufacturer that supports DMR. Then you have a manufacturer that supports NXDN and DMR. And then you have one that supports DMR and APCO 25. Then you have, so you have a whole bunch of different types of radios that are out there in the commercial based market. And again, if you wanted a radio that was going to do EDAX and Motorola, well, that would now be two separate radios because one couldn't play on the other one's, you know, court basically, or in the same sandbox. So that was another reason, too, where scanning uh, a scanner rated receiver was better off to be invested in than it would be to buy a commercial radio if you had multiple receivers to talk about. So today now we get into the trunking world, right? We get into um, uh, the Motorola Type 2 systems, and I'm bringing this up now intentionally. Motorola Type 2 and APCO 25, right? APCO 16 or APCO P25, and we talk about non-affiliate. So let's go ahead and break down non-affiliate. Let's talk about how non-affiliate works in P25. And let's talk about the dangers of using a trunking radio to receive on an APCO 16 or a um, Motorola type two system.
1: Okay. So uh, I guess talking about both of the systems, a lot of the systems share a lot of the same property, so to speak. So you have a control channel where the subscribers listen to the system controller for where to steer for the different channels. So if you understand, if you understand your basic trunking, which I'm sure you've covered plenty of times in this podcast uh, through many episodes, you monitor those control channels and the scanner receiver or the subscriber, as it were in this case, is able to tune to the appropriate channel, which could be a different frequency at any given moment uh, to be able to listen to the conversation. So the conversation gets a group number. And so for example, you have a dispatch channel and that dispatch channel is talk group ID one. Well, the control channel will put out the broadcast that, hey. Uh, talk group number one is now on this frequency. So that's what we leverage when we use scanners for that is we're listening to the control channel and the scanner goes in and tunes to the appropriate frequency to be able to listen to the conversation. And then if it uses digital voice to code. So talking about your project 16 and your Motorola type two systems, uh, there's some out there that have analog voice. There's some out there that have digital voice. So with the analog voice, all you have to do is tune to it. Uh, And with the digital ones, you have to tune to it and also have some way to demodulate or decode the voice traffic because it's just a digital signal coming across. So if you're anything like me, since you brought up the uh, weird drawback of the Pro95 with edac systems, uh, when you first got one of those scanners and you pulled it out, I think you probably were like me. You rushed, you programmed it and you put in your control channels, but all you were doing was scanning around the control channels, so you are getting bits and pieces of conversation and not really following a conversation from start to finish. Uh, You would hear a reply from a a police officer, and then all of a sudden you'd hear a dispatcher on a fire dispatch channel talking about something until you really understood the trunking uh, concepts and how to program a scanner receiver appropriately for the trunking.
0: Right, you have to get to remember that it's, it's not a voice pool. I mean, it is a voice pool, but it's not a scan pool. So that was always a big thing that you know to learn. Once you got the hang of it, though, it was like, you know, riding a bike. You know, you, you understood it.
1: So absolutely, and that's actually why I like uh, the surge in the SDR, uh, the twenty-dollar dongles, or sometimes more, sometimes less, but usually around the twenty to thirty-dollar mark, uh, dongles and software such as Unitrunker, uh, OP twenty-five. Uh, SDR Trunk and some of those other projects out there to develop software that decodes the control channel just because it gives you a really good visual representation of a trunking system, the way SDR Sharp can give you a really good visualization of a, scope, a band scope, a, a selection of bandwidth, and how the radio waves kind of travel over the air in a waterfall fashion. So that's kind of one of the reasons why I push people at first to that is just, it not only cause of cost, cause you're in for a lot less cause software such as Unitrunker is free to download. Uh, OP 25 has kind of a big, uh, big learning curve to get started. It requires Linux, things like that. But those give you a great, great visual representation of how a trunking system works and it's great for a beginner trying to understand how a trunking system works.
0: But yeah, so we were talking about basically, um, you know using using the uh, SDRs just to see what was going on a trunk system to understand uh, where the voice channels are how people move around the system and you can see them uh, go through and hop around right go to channel 1 go to channel 5 go to channel 7 and then come back and then you don't see them for a while but as somebody vacated channel 1 somebody else has moved in on that real estate and has used that resource that's available there so and trucking is a great resource because it helps you to um, uh, maximize your available spectrum whereas opposed like I always say too like if a fire department owns say frequency 1 and the police department owns frequency 2 and DPW owns frequency 3 and EMS owns frequency 4 guess what those frequencies are dedicated even when nobody's using it nobody can use that because it's licensed directly to those those uh, those agencies but in a trunking environment you know those four can bounce around they can even share the same one or two channels because of nobody's using it at the exact same time so that's, that's um, you know that's what I like about trunking. I think it's a great resource when it comes to uh, the ability to not only listen because you can get a larger footprint now because not everybody's stuck on a simplex or a small repeater system, but um but you know that that's that's definitely great. So plugging these radios in and getting them onto uh, a trunk system though, that's that's where we start running into some risks and some liability when it comes to owning these radios.
1: yep. so that's kind of why I discourage people from going about this path of monitoring. Uh, I really think that this grew out of a need to break the simulcast distortion. Uh, Plenty of episodes you've covered about how simulcast distortion can be one of the most discouraging parts of listening to these trunk systems. Uh, Usually comes in the form of either not being able to pick up a transmission or the transmission comes in severely broken or you get the R2-D2 kind of garbled voice going on as the scanner struggles to demodulate it, and it also impacts your reception range. Uh, simulcast systems can actually broadcast a lot further than people realize um, until they pick up a scanner like an SDS-100 or go to a pager like a, a Unication G4 or G5 that can break through the issues with simulcast distortion. Thinking about the commercial radios that people started using, I think about the systems that Cause people a lot of problems with the simulcast distortion. Uh, there's one famous in the Maryland area, uh, not far from me, that is notorious for simulcast distortion. Uh, people have reported that scanners, such as the unit in uh, 396T, are pretty much deaf on this system, as they say. Uh, they'll be in the county, well within reception range, not being able to pick up a single transmission. Just because of the geographic layout of the various towers and all the technology and research and development that went into behind went into making sure that every user in that area could receive and transmit back on the radio system. So the way most people got around that specific system was buying the gear second hand. Now this is where you started to get in the problems because the way these systems work is all the users are assigned a radio ID. So every radio in the system has an ID basically kind of like having a telephone number on your cell phone. And they use that cell phone number to identify them. If you've ever heard of uh, ESN or some of these other terms with mobile cell manufacturers, it's kind of the same idea,
0: right? So electronic serial number in the cell phone or the the MZ, right? The IMEI, um, or electronic serial number, right? It's the same deal. Even um, I guess unit ID, radio ID, they're all interchangeable. But you know, as you were saying, each radio has its own unique, unique programmable identifier on the system. That lets the control admin know uh, who owns the radio, basically, or who it's supposed to be or where it's supposed to be and and who's supposed to be using it. So exactly, important.
1: Exactly. So what ends up happening is you see um, if you're monitoring with a piece of software, like we mentioned before, such as Unitrunker, Unitrunker or some of the other open source software out there, what you'll end up seeing is the activity of the radio is just turning on. So in Unitrunker, just because it's one of my uh, commonly Used pieces of software is you get the joins message, so you'll see a radio ID joins, and it'll identify a talk group that they're joining to. And what's actually happening there is the radio itself is transmitting. Now the user out in the field is not keying up the radio and immediately talking, but it is actually transmitting. Right. So handshake. Exactly. Uh, So it's that hello, I'm on the system. I want to listen to this talk group. And actually, that serves as valuable information. So it's not just a hey, I'm. On this channel listening to this talk group it can be used for other functionality uh, such as location and a lot of proprietary features that the various systems uh, offer and try to offer up as a enhancement over the various manufacturers so for example so because of project 25 and now you have the standard that says how the protocol is supposed to be and you can have different vendors on different systems made by different other vendors, what you get is vendors trying to market themselves by offering specific features. So there's a lot of actual hidden data that even Unitrunker and some of those other software can't show because it's either proprietary and they don't know they're decoding it or it's just some other feature functionality offered. Uh, I think about systems that have emergency activation. So when the user pushes the orange button, it sets off alerts or performs other actions or ties into pieces of software to say for example have a dispatcher automatically initiate a response to a police officer who hits the emergency button it can automatically rec- recommend and send units to the last known location of the officer or GPS location uh, the radios can transmit GPS location back to what's called the system uh, controller and notify pieces of software where they are so now instead of having to have a computer a end user could just have a radio and they're recording their location while they're walking around so a dispatcher could know an, where an officer is, not just in a general area or where the reported address emergency was, but maybe where they are on the piece of property.
0: So it's very important to remember, right, you got the radio ID. Now, radio IDs are supposed to be unique on the system, right? You're not supposed to have two radio IDs that are
1: identical. Right, so this is where the problem lies. Uh, what happens is you need a way to basically monitor the system without getting it to transmit. By nature, these devices are designed to power up and send the affiliation message, as it's called. So that's why we refer to this as non-affiliation scanning, uh, because you're programming the radio in such a way that it doesn't send that message out. And that becomes quite difficult, because for the people who originally purchased these products, there's really no reason for them not to have the affiliation. The system's designed for specific capacities. It's designed to have so many users on it. So for them, it doesn't matter that it does it it, whether or not it transmits, just because it's a needed function of that radio. So it's not just like you can go into the software and just say, oh, I'm not gonna transmit. So you have to get creative with your ways on how you prevent the radio from transmitting. And that's where the problem comes in. So just like it's illegal in most states and jurisdictions to transmit and interfere with police, fire, EMS, or any other public service for that matter, you could transmit and cause an issue. So right, for example, g- not even
0: realizing it, because by turning the radio on, you not even realizing it, you could be transmitting and you could be causing harm on a harmonic commercial
1: system. Absolutely. So it's not just like a scanner where you just plug in a couple control channels, plug in the talk groups, maybe alias the talk groups and you're off. There's a lot more involved with setting it up. And that's even if you're lucky enough to get one that's basically purchased where there's nothing programmed. It's how it come out of the box for the end user. A lot of times these Devices that you see on typical auction websites uh, and for sale ads are purchased uh, at large quantity typically from government liquidations, government auctions, or other ways that they are required by law to dispose of equipment previously purchased with government funds. So what ends up happening is you have to do a lot of work just to get to a starting point. And then it goes further into making sure, like you've mentioned before, the radio ID. So how do you even know what radio ID you should use? Well, there's a lot of people out there on sites like Radio Reference who do a good job of saying this range is for this, this range is for that. So you can sort of take a guess at what radio ID might not be in use. But what ends up happening is we have system managers who've gotten smart and know what radios should be on there. And if you don't believe me, you can do plenty of searches on sites like Radio Reference and some of the other forums out there. Uh, where we get system managers of these radio systems who chime in, comment, post and talk about how they know every radio ID that should be on the system. And right. so what and they, they have
0: do- they have software that actually pinpoints and even like what towers and receive sites each radio is being received on. So Exa- Exactly. Exactly. I don't know if you're going to go here with that, but they know that if a radio shows up, you know, on on tower A and then it shows up 26 miles away on on cha- on uh, tower Z uh, within a five-minute span, then they know something is wrong. So they know one of those radios is, is not an official radio that's supposed to be on the network. And then they can find out you know, from there where it goes and what, what it's on, and, and then you get the major problem you know, when they decide to terminate the radio. But uh, I'll let you continue with, with that
1: part of the discussion. <laughs> right. You were leading right into the major problem of that, which is because they recognize the radio, these radios by the Project 25 standard – have the capability of what's called inhibit. Now inhibit for most of these radios means you've basically turned what you purchased into a brick. And the only way to revert that is to send it back to the manufacturer, which I'm sure a lot of these manufacturers would absolutely love, I say that sarcastically, uh, see a what was previously a multi-thousand dollar radio show up, all beat up, programmed to a system that they're not supposed to be on and return it to you. Yeah, basically you're not going to get that radio back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you um, that's why you hear people about breaking radios, and all, it's not just something that's we say to scare people or things like that. Uh, there are plenty of stories out there, again, on the, many of the forums and places where guys in this hobby talk about this activity, talking about how they've powered up a radio and all of a sudden they notice if they go to turn it on they have a fully charged battery it doesn't turn on it doesn't do anything it doesn't even write really it oh it's there right yeah. and, and
0: that's exactly it it's bricked it looks like it's dead it's, po- it's playing possum is really what it's doing it doesn't turn on it doesn't show anything on the screen it doesn't even beep but once you leave it turned on and they can they can actually send the, the code back to it if, if say they stun a legit radio they can un- unstun the radio and um you know it would come back to life like it was normal so it's not like it's it, it does appear to be dead even though it's still in the system, but to the end user, it's just, you know, it's plain possum. So.
1: And I've actually seen this happen to very legitimate users. So this is something that's taken very seriously just because managers don't want the liability of somebody interrupting police, fire, EMS important transmissions because they're just goofing off or something like that. So I've actually seen where one agency, uh, whether by accident or on purpose inhibited another agency's radios because the Agency trying to affiliate with the system picked the wrong IDs or didn't use the IDs that they were subscribed to them Or did something silly like accidentally triggered an emergency activation Like I said before these radios have the capability often of being able to alert the dispatchers that they're in immediate danger so if they have a radio that's for one reason or another broken and it keeps transmitting that message uh, it's going to be very annoying for the users and you can bet that the system manager is going to almost immediately want to Turn something that was probably a very costly investment into a brick a paperweight Right and
0: again too, I mean, they have the ability to, to I mean I, I know I know people who have legit radios that are supposed to be on the system They're not using it to scanning They're using it basically to monitor where they're supposed to be and their radios have been inhibited because Somebody didn't write down what the serial number was, or the radio ID was and said, okay, run these through the system. We don't know who has these radios. Basically, they weren't keeping a paper trail. And they were just waiting for the phone calls to come back in and get the radios you know, put back on the network. But there's, I would assume that there's nothing to stop anybody from saying, okay, these are the range of, of radio IDs we have in the system. Any other radio ID that's not on this list, let's just start going through them and just send out the sun command. And let's let that go on for about a week. And... You know, again, it may not be even a radio ID that's in use. You may have done anything wrong, but you're going to get flagged because, um, you know, you just happen to turn the radio on at the wrong at the wrong time. Basically, there's no way you would even know that this was even going to happen until, until basically, it is. It's just a little bit too late. But um, there's also a safety issue too, right? I mean, if you have two of the same radio IDs on the system, I mean, that could be life-threatening in a way, couldn't it?
1: Well, that's exactly what I was going to lead into, which was... Oh, sorry about that. I keep oh, doing that to you. <laughs> uh, it's all right. I mean, it just this conversation actually progresses of all the risks of uh, performing these sort of modifications, these it, these changes in this uh, trickery to the radios to get them on the system. So if you think you're going to be smart and say, um, oh, I know the identified range of these radios just from monitoring uh, unit IDs with my unit and scanner or unit trunker or something like that and then you tried to duplicate the ID of a very valid radio, you could actually interrupt the transmissions of the actual user just because various actions that you're performing are now, the system can't understand why it's either performing it twice or it sees a radio trying to talk on two different talk groups at the same time or something like that. So now you've just prevented an actual user from possibly transmitting just because it thinks your radio is the official radio with the official ID and not that of the police officer, or the firefighter, or the EMT.
0: Right. And that would be more of a, in the lines of having it affiliated with the system as opposed to non affiliating. Now, again, we're not going to go into how to do one or the other. That's really not the point here. We're not going to educate you that far. It's just, um, you know, something to be aware of. You
1: know, another one of those issues that, people have with this especially with the the new project 25 systems is there's a lot of information that's not publicly available so when i say not publicly available i usually think of radio reference now there's other resources out there other than radio reference i just want to throw out there just because uh one the piece of advice i could give to a lot of people listening is Although I love radio reference, I think it's a great resource. It's a great starting point. Uh, There's plenty more out there in terms of these resources to learn about systems, uh, learn about different frequencies out there. So uh, make sure you look out for your regional systems out there uh, and your regional uh, forums and things like that uh we have one in the dc area called the Capitol hill monitors great facebook group uh, ken fowler who's one of the admins is a typical patreon sponsor for you yep, and yep. usually make sure to post uh to our group so i love to just give that shout out there that a lot of those smaller groups uh, could use some good activity and they're a little more casual and a little more friendly so they usually end up you end up learning a little bit more and it's helpful for how do i listen to the system so how do i learn about operations but the reason i bring that up is there's information that a lot of these scan or these radios would need to be able to listen to a system, even through the methods that we call non-affiliate. Uh, one thing I'll point out while I'm thinking of it is, with the non-affiliate methods that are out there, most of them seem to be uh, have lately been removed from the various resources where they lived. Uh, I don't know if any of the manufacturers are specifically going out there targeting uh, people who are describing these methods with lawsuits or other legal action, but. It seems like a lot of that information has gone by the wayside. There is still stuff out there. I don't recommend trying.
0: To loop back, too, not to really cut you off on that, too, but um, you brought up the local websites, but there was definitely a couple of nationwide websites, too, that kind of played side-by-side with radio reference. You'd have uh, websites like uh, p twenty five ca, which I think disappeared many, many years ago, and the stuff that you're talking about could have been found on those. And how to do this kind of stuff would have been there. And I think they became like communications dot yeah. support. And you know, some of these websites they, they keep changing names, and, or they keep um, you know, bad boards is one of them that was really good too for for some of this information as well. Um, but you know, Reddit well, I guess would be another one. But you got to watch you know where you go sometimes too. You can really end up down down a pretty dark and, and uh, dangerous path.
1: Yeah, so you bring those sites up, and a lot of those you'll get uh, flamed on for even asking about it, and you'll be quickly given a reason of why you should not be doing this. And that actually happens on Radio Reference a lot, too. Um, so just don't think it's just us doing it. We're just trying to provide a polite reasons why you shouldn't. Uh, we'll probably get into a little bit of what's what's good out there to be able to listen to these systems, and why there's little reason to do it. Um, but back to you know one of the points I was making before was there's there's not a lot of systems that, or there's not a lot of information out there that you might need as much anymore. So we were talking about how with the P25 standard you could technically have vendor A's radio on vendor B system. Well, vendor A and vendor B do not have, for example, what's called the same band plan. So what's happening now is it's not just a standard band plan. When you think about control channel only. Uh, scanning, which is popular with the union scanner, you just plug in your control channels and away you go. They rely on a known set of where that next frequency is going to be, where the voice slot is going to be. So logically in the next step, if I'm transmitting, or the control channels on this channel and it's numbered channel one, then channel two should be in this next place. And with some of these new vendor systems, and even with the vendors themselves, they're not always keeping it consistent. So you're going to have to go out and discover what the band plan is for that system. So you've kind of de- self-defeated the activity of this non-affiliate scanning because you would have to go out with a scanner or a uh, an SDR dongle and some software, or the old school method with the software like Unitrunker and Trunk eighty eight from back in the day, where you would make a, a discriminate what's called a discriminator tap and pull yep. the raw feed out of this r- scanner, and to go through all that effort just to program it into a uh, a radio so you can listen seems a little silly, especially when you can buy equipment now that does a great job of breaking up the simulcast distortion and monitoring the system.
0: But not only that, they, they have, you know, like you said too, they have uh, they have like a control channel hunting. I, f- I forget the exact name on it, but it will actually map out the system for you. So it just knows a sample like I need to go to voice channel and it finds the voice channel and starts figuring out, okay, these are the LC, you know, logical channel numbers of, of each frequency. So some of these scanners too will do the hard work for you now. So you don't even need to break out some of the software or use um, you know an SDR dongle to find out when a, a carrier comes up on a certain frequency. So, uh, a lot of these readers have a lot of smarts in it.
1: So exactly, that's, that's I'm the... sure. I, I'm sure a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast probably who are new to the hobby have seen people talking about band plans on some of the older scanners. I think of the oh, Radio yeah. Shack Pro ninety six and having to do a band plan. Well not In-made only that, system. but you
0: need a you need a band plan too, and You need a rebanding, just for the exact reason that you that you brought up, because everything changed. I mean, the whole world went upside down when when, when rebanding went in. And uh, I remember too when my local system here that once the county away was Motorola type two system and they did a hybrid for a while. They had some channels that were not rebanded and some channels that were rebanded. And I'd sit there and I had an Excel spreadsheet set up and I would make up my own band plans and I'd get it ironed out where i could listen to to the hybrid system and then the next day or two later they would move a couple more channels over and then the whole band plan would change <laughs> so um you know it was easy to do that on a scanner and it, with an excel spreadsheet and then just keep moving things around on it but uh, I, I wouldn't want to imagine doing that on a, on a commercial radio
1: right and most of this conversation i've been thinking about it in the f- mindset of a seven eight hundred megahertz system which seems to be the most popular for public safety but when you start talking about uhf so the 400 megahertz range and vhf 100 megahertz 150 megahertz, uh, 170 megahertz range. Uh, the band plans are much less standard for that, and usually unique to every system. So it's not like you can just sort of guess it and hope it works.
0: Right, you need to you know basically the offset frequency, the uh, you know the starting frequency, the starting channel. There's a lot that goes involved into uh, into setting one of those band plans
1: up. So with band plans and things like that what ends up happening now is you see radios that if you have the band plan incorrect, it will still try to affiliate. So some of these methods out there actually won't work anymore, especially with the new phase two systems as phase two systems, which means the multiple time slots for a single frequency. So one frequency can have two conversations going on at the same time. Uh, most people think of DMR when they hear that, um, have unique band plans. And I've seen where, A commercial radio designed for this purpose, if it does not have the correct band plan, even using these methods, will attempt to affiliate. And now you're getting back into some of the dangers we talked about before, possibly having your radio bricked by the system controller or worse, causing unneeded interference into a system.
0: Right. So it's it's the reoccurring theme here is a lot of these commercial radios have the ability to transmit out of the box. That's what they're there for, They're two-way radios. What you don't realize, though, is that it can transmit on its own. You may not have it set up to transmit, but it can do it because it's trying to phone home. It's trying to get on a system or just say it's here. You can send out a heartbeat. It can say, I can't find my system. So, again, these radios, they have a risk because you may not even realize that they're doing anything, but they are sitting there doing things on the background. So, um, you know, it, again, it's again it's against FCC, I'm sure. If you listen to those outside United States, it's against whatever your government regulations are for you know, two-way radios and, and your radio bureaus and whatnot as well, that if you're not supposed to be there, you're not supposed to transmit there. So there is definitely, like we've been saying, there is definitely the risk for having a commercial radio. Um, and again, too, let's talk about, you know, different systems, too. We touched on DMR uh, with NXDN, right? You have color codes, which would be like the NAT codes on on, on P25, But you also have, um, and not to mistake the the different terminology too, right? With DMR, you do have encryption, right? But you also have what's considered a RAS key or was that the radio access or something like that, right? Um, And I believe with a two-way radio, you do need to have that RAS key if one is transmitted in order to get on the system. Don't know how that works on a receive-only side. But with a scanner, right, we don't worry about a RAS key because we're not affiliating on the system with a scanner. So the RAS key to us is a transparent value.
1: Right. And you talked about how the radio can be doing stuff in the background and it might be transmitting for one reason or another. And that brings up one of the biggest reasons to avoid this, which is just the difficulty of purchasing these. Uh, Although there's plenty of resources out there about how to purchase these uh, secondhand, where to purchase them, uh, what you need to look for. You get into all these sort of complications. So with these commercial radios, uh, they have basically a way to... Unlock the various features. So, kind of like how you buy a unit in scanner, and you might have to buy the NXDN upgrade or the Pro Voice upgrade. What you're doing is you're kind of paying for the research and development that went into be able to provide those features and functionality to the radio.
0: Right? A lot well, of these radios too, they have to license that as well, right? So you're paying also for that. E-
1: exactly. And so what that that's what the problem quickly becomes. So, a lot of the methods that people were using to unlock those features pretty much what I would call illegally, uh, have either gone by the wayside or become much more difficult to do. And that also makes makes it difficult to purchase. So if you just know that your local police department is running around with model XYZ of Brand A's radio, and you you go onto eBay to go search for that, and you find that same model, it might not have all the needed features to be able to listen to that system. So for example, you can buy a a radio that is capable of listening to a phase two system, but when you purchase it it does not have what some people would call the entitlement for the ability to even listen to that phase two system so you hook it up to the software which you've managed to spend all this money for to with using a cable which you had to specially purchase from a specific manufacturer and you hook all this up and you discover that the secondhand radio you just spent all this much money on doesn't have the ability to listen to the system because the previous user did not need or want to pay for the entitlement to talk to a phase two system. If you've got phase two in your area or some of the other technologies might out, might, might be out there. Uh, You've brought up Motorola type two systems. Uh, You need a a radio that's capable of listening to digital voice. Not all radios that could be on a a type two system could even decode digital voice. Right, exactly. So you're going to be spending, yeah, you're going to be spending tons of time just having to research and understand uh, how they Define these codes or how to figure out what features this has. And there's bad actors out there. Uh, we've talked about all the scary sites you can rabbit holes, you can go down to kind of learn this information. But there's people who and are just do, looking say. At-
0: say That's not to say, too, that we shouldn't go on those websites. It, they're educational and, and, and all of stuff, too. We're not saying don't go there or, or anything like that. But uh, they, they're a little bit more lax sometimes. Uh, on the information that's shared than what radio reference. Basically, that was the point we were trying to make.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Different
0: websites, different information, different admins, different, you know, that's, that's long and short. That's what we were trying to get. The point we were trying to deliver was.
1: So thinking about some of those websites that you might go on to learn about this information, there's people there looking to make a quick buck too. Uh, Everybody's kind of motivated by money this day and age. Everybody's looking to make a quick buck. So what ends up happening is you might purchase a radio that either was listed wrong or, Uh, is not even working when you receive it. Uh, Some of these radios might be made up of various other radios. Uh, Typical people I see selling these work in uh, a radio shop or have access to uh, spare parts for these radios, so they'll purchase a broken radio and know that only the display is broken, grab another uh, display off the shelf, shove it in the radio, and now they've made a Frankenstein that they're selling you, and you're hoping that your investment doesn't go to waste because you have no return policy on this. It's not like a uh typical vendor where you might buy a scanner brand new out of the box and you have a thirty day return policy. typically, these sellers just want to offload it and they don't care what you do with it because now it's your problem and now you've got something that dies in a couple of days or even if you're using it for a very legitimate purpose could have uh, functionality problems. So that's kind of another one of these risks of going down this path right
0: so let's um let's let's swap it up a little bit here. So we talked about some of the negatives. Of using commercial gear i mean obviously there'll be some reasons we'd want to use commercial gear um a lot of times right with if you're in the gmrs world right a lot of what's at disposal now is strictly commercial gear you're not going to find pretty much anything else that's going to operate in that specifically made for gmrs besides you know the uh we call them like the drugstore radios right the ones that come into bubble packs um but nothing mobile that would that would well a high power that you basically be able to find that would play well on gmrs uh, besides maybe an out-of-band amateur radio. So there is some some functionality there for commercial radios. Again, I use the HT-1250, the, the you know... And again, that was one of the radios too that had um, MDC-1200 on the display. It shows it up nice. It's got a really loud speaker on it. It's conventional only. It does pl and um I think a lot of the draw too, you talk about a lot of draw people using commercial radios was because it would play well in Simulcast, but a lot of the guys too, they're volunteers and they're used to carrying the bigger, bulkier radios and they want that for their own personal gear because that's what they're used to. Um, they don't mind the limitation of only having 16 channels in a scan list or whatever it is that's that's built into one of these uh, commercial radios. They just like the ability to have something that's rugged that can you know fall off the front seat of the car, that can fall off the desk. and. And still keep on going, or maybe they have, like you said, they have access to a radio shop where they can get another battery, or another antenna, or a speaker mic. Um, so there are, you know, some reasons why. Again, we're not trying to scare anybody too far away from using commercial gear. This is just kind of a, a back and forth thing here. But you know, these are the risks. These are these are the real value um, and the real life examples as to why commercial gear really isn't at home in um, this in a, a skin of world for as uh, you know it isn't as good as an idea as many people think that's that's
1: probably a, a good way to explain it. I absolutely agree with that point. Um, although they can have a lot of benefit in terms of like we've said, breaking up the simulcast, which is what I personally believe it might not be the right right reason, but it felt like what a lot of people the reason that they went out and got these, um, but you just reminded me of <laughs> Yet another drawback, which is things like Scanless. So you only have so many, many systems or talk groups you can listen to at the same time. Now, uh, that's actually kind of one of my blockers of why I haven't splurged all this money on G4s and G5s, because I have all these systems I can listen to in my area. Um, and one of the limitations of the G4, G5 is not is that you couldn't listen to, uh, for example, my area, District of Columbia and Montgomery County, Maryland, and Fairfax County, Virginia, all at the same time, you'd have to sort of bounce around between the different systems and listen to them. Yep. Well, exactly. a radio can do that, but a radio can't do it nearly as well as a scanner. Um you know, again, I'll keep showing my love for Unidin just because of GPS scanning, but the ability to have every system in your radio, just like a TRX can, where you have the entire radio reference database. So whenever you travel, you don't have to think about Programming it with some of those home patrol based models and just have everything there ready to go. You can quickly pick up what's in your area and then you start to lock out, filter what you're not listening to. Um, but more importantly, the ability to jump around from conventional to trunking is actually a lot easier. There's a lot of limitations to being able to monitor commercial and or conventional and trunking systems at the same time. There's drawbacks with the speed and rate of scanning, uh, the capability of it. Whereas it really feels like because a unit in a Whistler, any of these other products are made from the ground up to be able to monitor multiple systems with multiple protocols, uh, it's really better if you like to listen to a lot of things or you don't like to listen to a lot of things. Uh, I think uh, one of the big disadvantages, though, is uh, right now we're still at a point where the cost of a Unication or an SDS might be a little bit out of reach for most people. Um, but the commercial gear, honestly, is for, to be make a safe purchase, is gonna be as much, if not more, by the time you're done So you you go look at a radio and you see, oh, it's three, $400, you're like, oh, that's less than the $650 asking price of an SDS or the 700 and something price of a Unication G5. But you're not done when you've just bought a radio for three hundred dollars. Does it have a charger? Does it have the Does it have the programming right. cables? Do you have the have, software? Does
0: it, does it have the you, options that you
1: talked about? You know, right? You can need. you even Can you even get the software? I mean, uh, do you know who you would call right now? It's not like going to uh, Microsoft.com and downloading a copy of Office to be able to download the software with all these companies. You have to have, have a contract open with them. You got to know a salesman who's got to be able to get you access to that software. Uh, it's not just floating around on CDs. And even sometimes when it is that's not really the way i'd like to go about purchasing software right
0: and in fact some of the manufacturers got smart too that you have to actually you know get onto an account in order to even uh handshake with their server that says you can actually run the software so there's a lot of different things in there that you know they want to make sure that the stuff you're using is legit um and uh one of the things too i wanted to touch base on you talked about scanning multiple systems and how a scanner does it very well. Don't forget, too, if you have a two-way radio, you're supposed to be on a talk group or on a system, right? You're not supposed to be moving around anyway. So that's really why, too, you wouldn't really have, like, the, like the G4, the G5, uh, you know, the whole G2 to G5 line, basically. That's why you only scan uh, talk groups within a one system. It doesn't allow you to go from system A to system B to system C. Because, really, your dispatch channel and your attack groups are supposed to be on a a system and that's where you're supposed to stay so you know and when you move off of a system and you go into something else that takes time you're going to miss any transmissions that are coming your way so again as you said before scanners shine in there because they have the ability to go through that a lot faster and again they're not trying to get on the system they're not trying to affiliate with it they're not trying to handshake. they're not trying to do a join and a request and and the whole deal that that happens behind the scenes that you're not aware of so um again scanning again too scanning has got probably a faster scan rate on it um, and the value for the money, you know, is is really definitely there when it comes to uh, scanning.
1: Absolutely, and I think people get discouraged when they go to websites and they read about uh, people who are on there complaining about how their 436 is struggling with Simulcast systems and things like that. And I can say from my personal experience that even with some of the older stuff, um, I still have a 996T uh, that I use to monitor a system with Simulcast distortion. And while it still has some of the issues for 99% of the time, it's great. And a lot of these now, especially with the introduction of the Unication and some of these other products that you can use to listen to systems with a lot of simulcast distortion, you can pick up some of the older digital trunking scanners for quite a good price. Yep. Um, and be in for a lot less investment than you would be otherwise. So I know personally it's discouraging when you see people on websites complaining, oh, I can barely pick this up and things like that. but something you have to remember is people are more likely to jump on a website to say for example for a vendor or like a restaurant to complain about the restaurant than they are to jump on and say hey i had a dinner last night it was great and everything worked and that's all because that's less interesting than saying that how terrible your experience was anecdotal stories that we just enjoy reading so um i just want to point out for the people getting into this hobby that although there are problems with listening to simulcast systems with some of these older digital scanners that if you read about how people overcome scanner or scanner simulcast distortion through methods such as better antenna placement attenuation things like that and understanding what in-band antennas are yagi antennas how that can help with your simulcast distortion or uh, attenuation and some of the features built into the radio that the manufacturers have added through firmware updates to be able to overcome this and understanding the limitations of that you can still have a good experience for a lot less money, which I think is important for a lot of these hobbies.
0: And that's, again, too, that's a lot of the hobby itself, right? This isn't isn't one of those hobbies, too, where you jump into it and it's all, you know, you're off to the races on. Sometimes it does take a little bit of homework, and that can be discouraging to a lot of people. But for some people, I guess, you know, I I assume like you and like myself – this is what makes it fun is the troubleshooting and the tweaking and the adjusting of this and the movement of that and the running of the extra antenna or, you know, playing around with the systems in order to get the – maximize what you're doing. To me, that's what makes the hobby interesting. It's, you know, how do I interact with what's what's going on RF-wise around me and not so much that, you know, well, I'm going to spend $3,000. Well, if I spend $3,000 on radio, yeah, it better work. But, you know um, – for what it is what these radios are doing I mean it's you have to understand that you know it, this is RF too that's that's the other problem that's the other you know the, the hidden thing that we can't really uh, it's not tangible we can't really you know see it, smell it, touch it taste it type of thing um, but it, it does make the hobby fun by by tweaking things and, and learning about how things work and, and I think that's part of the hobby too I've said in previous podcasts. I think that's part of the hobby that's kind of um, starting to become extinct a little bit you know
1: Absolutely. And I can say the troubleshooting of how to improve your reception is not only more interesting and more fun, it's a lot easier than the homework and troubleshooting you have to do to figure out why a $6,000 radio you just programmed isn't listening to the system you want to hear. Right, exactly. And there's no risk either. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you don't have to worry about transmission just because there's no equipment really in these devices to be able to transmit. I
0: got one more thing I would, I would say too is um, when you buy radios that are specific to a certain band split, we did talk about that, you know, earlier is, is buying uh, like UHF receivers comes in several different splits when it comes to some manufacturers. Um, I, I know, like, I buy... Um, because of the price points there right the the radio's about seventy five dollars to hundred dollars depending where you get them from and who you can buy them from, but even like the c d m twelve fifties right the Motorola mobile radios and um i i buy them in low band because they work really well they work they work better than my scanners do in low band because they're made for that frequency right they they're cut and they're designed only to work in their sweet spot um so you you may find out radios like that will you know may may be good because and again too these are conventional only. There's no risk of transmission on them, and um, you know they're not they're not on a trunk system, so some of that risk is is left out there. But again, I do have the risk that if I hook them up into my receive line, which has you know a- active multicouplers on there, so there is still that risk that you know it is a transmitter. It could at some point something could short out on it. Something could just go, and um, you you don't want to ruin every single scanner that's on your receive array because you had one radio on that network that would that would transmit you know that that wouldn't be good either
1: yeah absolutely um there there is a reason for commercial gear uh i'm not going to discourage anybody from giving a lecture or i'm not going to discourage anybody from going out and purchasing this stuff or there's plenty of it when you go to some of the hamventions that might be in the area um, or club meetups and things like that there's plenty of people i always see selling off old equipment from some of the commercial manufacturers and if there are systems that you really like to listen, that's what they're designed to do. And they have to meet strict contract and uh, guidance and performance benchmarks to be able to satisfy the cost of these devices when they sell them to places like municipalities and federal governments. So it's there's no reason that I have to say, oh, you need to give a lecture to the guy selling Motorola radios at your next hand bench about how terrible he is and how – He's you know, risking the lives of firefighters, EMTs, and police officers. It's just more to say you really have to understand the risk, particularly with the non-affiliate, which I feel like a lot of people ask about, and there's plenty of stories out there. Of what can happen when you take that risk and something goes wrong?
0: Yep, and again, this, this podcast right now isn't to say you can't do this or you shouldn't do this or don't do this. I mean, the end user basically... Um, understands now what they're getting into. So if they do decide to go out and purchase secondhand or firsthand a commercial radio and use it, at least they know now what um, what they're getting themselves into. Whereas before it was just ah you know it's just a commercial radio, it's, it's just listening. Um, they have a better understanding as to you know what that radio is actually doing behind the scenes. So it's you know it's an education, an educational session. As to uh, to what's going on, I'm sure plenty of you guys out there that are using commercial radios. No matter what we say here, you guys are going to continue to use your commercial radios. And again, you know, you you understand the risks as to what it is. Some of the new guys out there that need to have that commercial radio because it's what they run around with on their local volunteer department or whatever else. Again, now you understand, you know, what some of the risks are that are involved with doing this. So um, again, in the end, you know, we're all um, mostly able to make our own decisions. <laughs> so, if somebody decides that they want to go out there with a commercial radio, I mean, this is this is what you have to worry about. And um, you know, I, I think uh I think they did a really excellent job in breaking down, you know, why what to be worried about uh when being in the possession of a uh, a two-way radio, cuz even again, if if somebody were to stop you and question you and you have a radio that looks like their radio, they, your first question is why do you have a police radio on you? Why do you have a fire radio on you? What are you doing with that radio? Immediately it brings suspicion because you don't have a scanner now. You have something that could, you know, interfere with what they're doing.
1: I absolutely agree with all those points. Um, I don't think I would lecture anybody I would see doing that, or I don't think I would lecture anybody I would see walking down the street with one of these. But you have to understand what you look like when you're doing this and that there's a lot of radio system managers out there that traverse a Places like Radio Reference and see people talking about what they're doing and immediately know that they should maybe go look at their system controller and possibly start disabling radios remotely.
0: Yep, and it happens more frequently than people, th-
1: you know, think. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So, all right. Well, I definitely appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Is there anything else you want to uh, bring up before
1: we uh, we part ways? Um, I enjoyed being on here. I hope that there's other people that want to join because there's plenty of it topics in this hobby that we can uh, get into. Plenty of rabbit holes to go down. Uh, Things I'd like to throw out there is just, especially with the SDRs these days, this is a really affordable hobby to get into and just start experimenting. Um, I love the fact that SDR gives you visualization. So if you want another reason to avoid a commercial scanner, go pick up, uh, go to your Amazon if you have a prime or some of those accounts or plenty of other stores, pick up a little dongle and look for uh, Unitrunker or Trunk SDR. I think I'm blanking on screwing up that name on that. Uh, But some of the, yes, SDR trunk. And some of the other products out there like SDR shark and stuff like that, and really get into kind of discovering the systems in your area. Um, One of the things, one of your other guests brought up too, which I think is an important point is there's more to the hobby than what's on the radio reference database. Uh, A lot of the reason I actually enjoy having a unit in over a commercial radio is the discovery mode. I still travel places where I'm shocked that there's information missing from the systems on radio reference. Um, I've been on P25 systems that hadn't been updated in four or five years, and then you run your uh, your scanner in discovery mode and you get to see all the cool um, stuff that is not already on the database. Now in more populated areas or uh, systems that cover a wide area, you're gonna have most of those talk groups and information filled out, but there's plenty out there that isn't covered. So it's fun discovering it. Um, Recent experience I just had is my local town has a couple frequencies that aren't even in the radio reference database. So learning to use uh, FCC.gov and some of the search tools on there and understanding how they do uh, licensing And using the search tools to be able to discover what other frequencies might be out there is actually kind of another one of the interesting parts of the hobby. Uh, You mentioned uh, some of the troubleshooting that goes into learning about how to improve your reception and learning about radio theory and RF and things like that. Uh, The discovery can also be a fun part. I never thought it would be interesting or fun, but uh, it definitely is when you can learn what's out there. And some of the stuff you might not be listening to now, just because not everybody's interested in police, fire, and EMS, there's plenty more out there, businesses that might have inter- interesting conversations or, uh, local governments. Um, I was going to, I gonna,
0: mean, yeah, yeah. one of, one of the things that, uh, you said is more than out there. I mean, I was playing around with, um, with, uh, DSD plus, uh, not too long ago. And I had two, two dongles on my laptop and you know, I, I, there's a, there's a local NXDN system here and I never listened to it because it's mostly just buses and everything else. And, um, you know, one day I just had it running and, you know, I'm listening to it and it was pretty interesting what was going on. I mean, they were running through a bus route, but they ran into an issue with one of the students on the buses and it became a real big panic. Like, oh, we're going to run late. You know, so-and-so is, you know, can we get so-and-so here? Can I get a a backup unit here? Can I, can I get a manager here or supervisor here? And you never think about, you know, you think about these kinds of things happening on on police and, and a lot of other stuff. But to listen to just even a bus run, something that should have been very simple as just you know pick up before school ended up being this uh, this major emergency for that bus route because of one of the students on board uh, wasn't cooperating well with the uh, with the bus aide or the bus driver. So there's definitely a lot. And, again, if I didn't have the dongle set up on, on uh, DSD+, I probably would not have been listening to it because that system isn't even programmed into any of my scanners because there's not something out there that I would be uh, interested in listening to. So, again, the flexibility that's out there when it comes to scanning, again, you know, I don't think there's any real commercial radio unless it's for NXDN. It's going to give you anything with NXDN. I don't think anybody's really going out of their way to buy anything that's NXDN unless they really have to be listening to NXDN.
1: So Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I think people just need to be patient with the manufacturers as they work out the bugs. Um, Yep. I know that a lot of the reason for doing this in the first place, buying the commercial gear was just discouragement with the equipment. And one of the great advantages is it does seem like even with Uniden's kind of uh, I want to say almost monopoly with the IQ based uh, SDS products being able to decode the simulcast systems really well, uh, mm-hmm. they still are actively improving the firmware. So exactly, uh, and even, even sure. like
0: way back when too, and again, I have to cut you off for like the, uh, the, you know, the Astro a- days is like when you had the codecs, right? The digital codecs, um, you know, the 785, would it, did it sound good? Could it have sounded better, right? When it came to, to decoding the P25 uh, or the digital modulation, even on a type two system, I'm sure that the Motorola radios that were out there that were supposed to be on that system sounded 20 times better than what was coming out of a unit and radio. Now, again, I never had an opportunity to put one side by side and listen to it, but just by hearing how the analog radio would come out, you know, the analog audio would come out of the commercial radio. I'm sure that they did a much better job with the uh, the advanced codex to, to take that signal and, and bring it from digital back. But even even today, um, I, I I can't stand listening to, and then we'll go on for another tangent here, but, Um, when it comes to digital modulation, I I can hear it, you know, I, I, it does not sound natural to me. It doesn't sound, everybody says it sounds so clear and it sounds perfect and sounds like they're sitting in the room next to you. To me, it just completely sounds robotic no matter if I'm listening to it, you know, on, on on a top of the line scanner or if uh, you know, I'm listening to it on a commercial radio. To me, it just, it it just something about digital that to
1: me sounds
0: digital. So I don't Uh, think anybody's perfected it yet.
1: Absolutely. And I've run into a lot of uh, system managers who just do a terrible job of managing their audio. Um, I can think of a couple systems in my area where you're listening to them and it either sounds really soft or really mushy. Um, you just did, did a little bit in your last uh, S Scanner School uh, podcast episode where somebody was asking about why one system sounds louder than the other. And that's of no fault of the scanners. It's just some of these systems just sound, you know, not so good. So. Right. Being able
0: to. Um, yep, yeah, and that's have that's to, exactly the reason why my TRX one is sitting right next to my desk right now because I had to answer that question,
1: <laughs> or else
0: <laughs> it would be on the other side of the room. <laughs> so that's why Absolutely, it's still sitting yeah. here.
1: I mean, even with all the digital I have in my area, all the digital trunking, I mean, uh, all the P25 systems, even some of the Type 2 systems in my area, uh, I still love having the uh, BCT-15 on my desk just because there's plenty of stuff out there analog. And just kind of like your story of the uh, the bus incident, uh, I was just playing around one day doing Discovery, and I picked up the local trash guys, and I had that moment of oh, shoot, I forgot to take out my trash. So while I'm scanning, <laughs> I, I heard them coming coming down my street announcing it on the radio, and I ran upstairs and was able to get the trash can out in time, so I didn't have my wife yelling at me about stinking up the house. <laughs> probably the, the only time your wife really liked having the scanner around, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think See,
0: that's and right. <laughs> that's the moral of the story here is if anybody who needs another scanner is you can find out when the trash men are coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think on that um, I, I definitely want to thank you for uh, for being a guest today. Now honestly, how was the process of booking this uh, this interview was it I mean how, did
1: you find it easy to do? Absolutely. it's as easy as described. Uh, go to the website, you pick your time slot, you get email reminders, you get text reminders. you will not forget your appointment.
0: <laughs> yeah that's done by design. <laughs> so, so excellent. Well again um, hopefully I'm not cutting it short on you. I think we've gone uh, a little bit more than an hour on this. So uh, I definitely want to thank you for bringing this this topic up here. This is definitely something I wanted to bring up, um, you know, because it was a question I was asking, like I said earlier. And um, I think this was definitely a topic that is much better uh, done as a conversation. So um, that, definitely thank you for bringing this one up and, and being a guest here. I can't thank you enough. And I would definitely love to have you back on uh, to discuss maybe, you know, something else that you're you're working on or uh, anything else that's as interest to you in the uh, scanner radio hobby.
1: Absolutely. Uh, love to come back. Uh, this is a great podcast. Uh, I never thought that listening to something called Scanner School would be interesting to me, even though I've been doing this for all these years. There's plenty to talk about, and there's still plenty to remind yourself and learn about. And you get to have the quick trips down memory lane talking about Pro 95s and modern EDAC systems.
0: Yep. And I
1: still have my Pro 95, and it's still on an EDAC system. So there you go. <laughs> so. uh, I, I, so, I sold mine at a hand bench, and I kind of disappointed but uh needed to make some room as we said yeah. the, wa- the, the wife kind of wanted a couple things to go <laughs>
0: and, and and no offense to, to grecom or radio shack but that's one of those those scanners i probably wouldn't miss if i sold it so
1: <laughs> you know the greatest thing I'll, i don't know if this can relate to anything we've had conversation about today but the greatest thing i'll say about that scanner is once i discovered that you could plug a programming cable into it and get programming oh, yeah. software
0: it, it changed the world upside down. I, th- I think we used what Win 95 for that one, and that one had a hard time copying and pasting out of it. But it did the job, and it did it for free. And uh, I still have that cable, that serial cable on one end and the and the pin on the other side. So it was gray. I remember the color of it because I used that cable like every day. Well, when I was trying to set that radio up.
1: I think <laughs> so... I I lost mine and have one of the fancy orange. Oh, you got one of the, the new orange shows. ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so don't forget to don't lose that pigtail. I zip tied my pigtail onto it. So I'd never lose it. So I can go back and forth between the stereo port and the monoport. So as an, as an iPhone
1: user, you think I would have done that, but I haven't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, all right. Well, on that note, again, thank you so much for being a guest today. I, I greatly appreciate it. And, um, you know, I, if is do you have anything else
1: that, uh, you want to bring up? Uh, I think I've, hit everything I want to talk about today. Um, if I can think of any other topics, I'll definitely go and do another booking as easy as it was.
0: Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much for uh, for being a guest on the podcast today. I greatly appreciate it.
1: I had a fun time. Thanks for having me. All right.
0: All right, Harrison. Thank you so much for being the guest on this week's session of Scanner School. Now, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, it's very easy. Just do what. Harrison did. You just go to scannerschool.com and click on podcast, which is on the top navigation bar. And that's going to bring you to a drop down where you can listen to the podcast or become a guest. When you click on become a guest, it brings you up to a calendar where you can pick a date and time that works for the two of us. It's just that simple. Now we use Skype, but we can also use regular telephone for our um, interviews as well. So again, Harrison, thank you so much for being a guest and bringing this topic to the table. This is was an outstanding, outstanding interview. Thank you so much again. Now again I also want to thank our continued Patreon supporters. I want to thank Anthony Saggio, Brian Southworth, Craig Harper, Dan, Glenn Bryden, James Felling, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, MT Bono, Mark BB, Raymond Hill, Scott Vorder, Signals Everywhere, William R. Kent, and our brand new for the week Patreon supporter, Steven Sheffield. Steven, thank you so much for joining the ranks. Uh, as those who support Scanner School. Now, if you want to support Scanner School in other ways besides Patreon, we have a one-time PayPal donation. And we also have the ability, if you, you know, if you buy from Amazon uh, or, or Scanner Master or Butel Software, you can find out ways to support us by going to ScannerSchool.com support. Now, I know this was a long one, so I'm not going to drag this on any further. I want to thank you all again for listening to Scanner School. The session notes are online at ScannerSchool.com slash session 81. And with that, we'll catch you all again next week. Thanks again, and 73.